Managing your law practice can be challenging. Marketing, time management, attracting clients, and all the things besides the cases that you need to do that aren't billable. Welcome to this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. This is where you'll get the information you need from expert guests and host Christopher Anderson, here on Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast, helping attorneys improve their practices. We're glad you can listen today on the Legal Talk Network. I'm your host, Christopher Anderson. I'm an attorney with a singular passion for helping other lawyers be more successful with their law firms. I work directly with lawyers across the country to help them achieve success in their law firm business. I've built and managed law firms in Georgia and New York, created innovative software for lawyers at LexisNexis, as well as served as a prosecutor in New York City. As a business owner first, and as an attorney, I believe you should have a law firm that works for you. In this program, I have a chance to speak to you, as I do in presentations across the country, about what it takes to build and operate your law firm like the business that it is. I have a chance to introduce you to a new guest each month to talk about how to make that business work for you, instead of the other way around. Today's episode of the Unbillable Hour is Managing Law Firm Risk with Rules-Based Docketing. My guests today are Carolyn and Jack Grove of Law Toolbox. They're located in Denver, Colorado. Carolyn and Jack are principals of Law Toolbox. Carolyn graduated from the University of Colorado School of Business in 1990 and worked for an aluminum manufacturing company in Tokyo using her Japanese language skills to facilitate negotiations with international companies. She also spent about seven years at IBM in Tokyo and then in Boulder, Colorado, managing global procurement of manufacturing supplies and distribution. Carolyn oversees the marketing and channel partners uh, for Law Toolbox since about 2001. Jack is an attorney experienced in civil litigation, emphasizing appeals and commercial disputes, insurance coverage, and bad faith. And in addition to practicing law, Jack developed and delivered a product to help lawyers automate deadlines based on rules promulgated by the courts in which they practice. Since its introduction in 1999, Law Toolbox has evolved and now calculates deadlines, instantly updates those deadlines to attorneys and their support staff um, to give them summary reports, sends email reminders to the users, and even sends practice tips and a first draft of the pleadings that are due. We'll be sharing their website and other ways to get in touch with them during the show. But today, we're going to be talking to Carolyn and Jack about the risks inherent in the deadline-driven practices in which many attorneys practice and why it is important to manage law firm risk with rules-based docketing. Jack faced this issue in his own practice and has helped many lawyers serve their clients better and run their businesses more efficiently. So welcome, Carolyn. Welcome, Jack. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. Yes. So let's just start first with understanding the problem more clearly. What are the risks that lawyers face around deadlines? Well, 30% of all malpractice claims against attorneys are oriented around some version of missing a deadline, whether it's not knowing the deadline or knowing the deadline, not properly keeping track of it. So what our product does is it addresses that need because in any kind of practice, if you can't address risk like that, you're not going to sleep well at night. So as our core function is to deliver peace of mind. Okay. And what practice areas are most affected by these deadline uh, types of problems? Our rule-based deadline calculators are oriented towards civil litigation in state and federal court. The reason that it's oriented towards that is because that's where deadlines really matter. If you miss a deadline in those courts, the court considers it uh, you know, a violation of protocol. They're, they're, they are giving you the opportunity to litigate in front of them. And if you miss a deadline, they can use that as a docket clearing mechanism. But uh, are, are litigators the only types of practices that really face deadline problems and need to have some sort of rule-based docketing to help them mitigate that risk? 
We have other products. We have a product for managing trademarks. We also have one for franchise. And uh, importantly, we also have a product where people can, if they have administrative procedures or, or things that are unique to their own practice, they can build their own calculators and templates. All right. So, that, I mean, from your experience with the marketplace, though, so what you're saying is that litigators are certainly impacted, but these other practice areas, are, you've noticed, have, have that the same problem. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Carolyn, now that Jack's helped us to understand the pain a little bit, tell me a little bit more about what rule-based docketing is. How, how does that address the pain point that Jack has described? Well, rule-based docketing is a systematic way to consistently track deadlines off of what we call a trigger date. So the trigger date might be, for example, the date of commencement, the beginning of the case, or a complaint or an answer can trigger deadlines. A trial date is a well-known one of those. And so rule-based docketing allows you to use these formulas that run off of each of the trigger dates to automatically generate the deadlines. So, for example... Um, in LA County Superior Court, you may have uh, about 60, 70 deadlines that run off of the trial date, commencement, basically the commencement of a trial. And so automating those deadlines uh, in a systematic way uh, reduces the chance for error and typos. Okay, so if I'm understanding this right, what, what you do is you say that certain events happen in the lifetime of a case from, from inception on through, and each one of those events creates new deadlines. That's right. Sometimes one, sometimes many. And sometimes um, some of the dates are going to be running off of a scheduling order, for example, and they're not going to be calculated dates. Perhaps you've, those have been identified to you by the judge. So it is a combination of deadlines that get calculated based off of rules, and then some of the dates are going to be fill in the blank. And I think Jack did a good job of explaining the risk, but why should attorneys be paying attention to using automated tools rather than the way they used to do things? Well, you know, one of the best examples would be when an attorney um, is going to feel a whole lot more comfortable relying on their staff if they know their staff are using a systematic approach that they can rely on. Uh, they're, they're more likely to allow people to get involved in, in doing some of that procedure if they know that, that they've got a reliable foundation um, and they don't need to do as much double checking. Okay. Can I just add one piece to yeah. that? When we used to walk into law firms, and sometimes we still walk into law firms where people are calculating their deadlines literally on their fingers, where they um, have developed some kind of mechanism to track things on paper, and that person maybe leaves the firm, and then their entire docking system goes up in smoke because nobody else knows how to use it or how the person uh, that was managing the deadlines, how they were doing it and where the tools were. Um, so when we actually automate that process, it's not just taking over that, but some of these calculations are incredibly complex. And the court... Uh, for example, in federal court, you may actually have a situation where you have a trigger date, you had 21 days to it. If that lands on a holiday, you have to add another day, roll forward to the next uh, business day. And then you, if that has been mailed, you add three days. If that deadline lands on a holiday or a weekend, you have to roll that forward again. And when you're going forward in time in federal court, you take into account the federal rules of uh, the federal holidays. When you're going backwards in time, you have to take into account both the federal and the state holidays. So the court, in their effort to kind of make it harder to miss a deadline, has made it much more complex to actually yeah. calculate I the I mean, deadlines. the complexities sound, sound huge. And, I mean, you're, you're just describing one court. So that, that brings up the next question I was really interested in, which is you described federal court. And from my experience, even some federal courts are different from, from district to district and, and even uh, within divisions of that district and even sometimes individual judges. 
so there are hundreds and hundreds of jurisdictions across the countries, federal jurisdictions, state jurisdictions, um, each with their own, sometimes as you describe, complex rules. How does a company like yours or other companies that build these kind of rules determine what the rules are and keep them accurate? Absolutely. So what we do is when we are building a rule set, we have attorneys going and interpreting those rules. They may interpret the federal rules of civil procedure, then they go and they look at the local rules, and in some instances, you know, drill down into the judge's rules like you were describing. So first we have to have a, a system for creating that and understanding and interpreting those rules. And we have to do that on a venue-by-venue by venue basis. So you can't roll out one product that works across the entire United States. You have to look at each individual product. In fact, we've even seen some jurisdictions this is, uh, they've changed this as of about four or five years ago, but there was actually one jurisdiction that had not adopted uh, FRCP changes from 2002. And so you have this, this complex kind of mesh of deadlines. So we track those deadlines, we have attorneys interpret that, and we get client feedback to make sure that we've tailored everything just right, and we put it out there. But then importantly, once you've put that product out there, that's, you know, really building the calculator can be in many ways the easiest part. Then what we do is we have a technology that goes out and monitors the court websites for rule changes. For so, more changes. Exactly. So uh, several years ago, it was a more of an ad hoc process. Now the courts, kind of the protocol for managing deadlines is becoming much more uniform across states, and they're adopting similar approaches. And we'll monitor the court websites for specific uh, changes. And as soon as there's a change to uh, one of these pages that, that where the rules are posted, we get notified of that. All right. So what's interesting about this is then is, I mean, you described early that you know, a lot of malpractice results from failure to meet deadlines. But what it's sounding like is that you know, when you first say that, it sounds like, well, that's because some lawyers are really lazy or they just you know, they fall asleep on it or they don't record it right. But it sounds like it's actually really hard as a practitioner to keep up with this. Um, and so this rules-based docketing really helps to mitigate that risk. Absolutely. So, Carolyn, this is making me wonder, what did attorneys do before this kind of technology existed? Well, I believe they would basically, uh, back in the day, they would keep books on their shelves and go look up, you know, sift through a book to find the rule reference. And as deadlines started to be uh, available on the internet, then they would go look up each deadline individually on the internet. And you know, well, you guys encounter a lot of law firms today. Are you experiencing that that some law firms are still doing it? that way, the old-fashioned way, if you Absolutely. will. Absolutely, yeah. There are still there are jurisdictions where there are these wheels that people turn on a piece of paper and they add 28 days to a deadline. Of course, it's not taking into account holidays. It's not taking into account service of mail and different things like that that nature. But that's, you know, as soon as we walk in, we kind of show them our way of doing that. You know, we have those people take those and put it in the trash can because it's, it's an inefficient and dangerous way to manage deadlines. And when you're managing deadlines, the point you were making earlier is that you may get, you know, uh, 18 out of 20 deadlines right, but there may be one deadline that you miss that is critical to your case, whether it's the deadline for filing a motion for summary judgment, and you've spent a bunch of time and billed your client a lot of money to put that motion together, and if you miss that deadline, a lot of courts will just say, you're out of time, you can't file that, we're not considering yeah. it. You guys have been helping lawyers with this for more than uh, 16 years. What has changed since like the early days when you were helping them to now in the, in the ability of uh, a company like yours to automate the rules? Has it gotten, has it improved? Has it been the same? What, what, what's changed over the years? Uh, well, absolutely. So we, we've always been a web-based company. In fact, when we had our first client in 1999 and we walked into the law firm to do a demo, 
uh, the IT team was there. IT team was there, ready to install software. And we said, no, no need for that. Just open up uh, a browser. And everybody watched in disbelief as we, you know, put in the user ID and password. And at that time, there was a they they were wondering where this information is going. Who can see this information? So one of the big changes that we've seen is that way back then, a big hurdle was: is it safe to put information right. up on the internet on the cloud? Or the words have changed over the yes. years. There's a new it seems to be a new term every two years. However, nowadays, if something's not up on the cloud, people feel like it isn't a forward-leaning technology, and they're not they're they're not as comfortable with it. And now people have that need and that expectation that it's going to be a cloud-based product. That's one of the big changes. Oh, that, that totally makes sense. Carolyn, the court rules are certainly valuable. What we've described is all these different deadline-driven uh, right. rules that, that are promulgated by the courts. The, I think you guys have made it really clear how lawyers, keeping track of it themselves without software is fraught with uh, potential problems. Right. But what about other deadline-driven workflows? So, I mean, you mentioned early on, Jack, that you know, there are other practice areas like intellectual property that aren't necessarily court-driven. So, Carolyn, can software like this help them with rules or deadline-driven practices that aren't necessarily driven by court deadlines? Absolutely. Administrative was one of the examples. Uh, a big kind of up-and-coming area for us is in the, the area of regulatory deadlines, especially in larger firms. And it, with our new um, build-your-own deadline templates, it makes it very easy for uh, somebody in the organization to, in the time it might take them to generate their deadlines based on a checklist, they just save the checklist online and then everybody in the organization can become more systematic for any type of practice. And it really goes beyond creating deadline templates for a specific practice area. You can also, for example, take a, basically customize the court rules by overlaying a deadline template onto the court rules. So one example would be, for example, insurance defense. Various insurance companies have a, a set of internal deadlines that law firms need to um, report back to the adjusters. And so that's another important component. And one of the, the, the key items that, that really make or break a docketing system is the ability to customize, not so much customize, but edit the deadlines to reflect orders. So at first glance, when a litigator is considering using a docketing system, they usually will brush it off and think to themselves, my practice is too complex, or uh, my cases, I you know stipulate case management orders where some of the deadlines change. And so the most important component is the ability to, make, to manage those. Is the ability to edit and, and make it customized to your particular case and, and make that all easy. Yeah. Uh, Jack, you've, uh, well, tell you what, let's, let's do this at the moment. We're going to take a break and uh, hear from our sponsors real quick. And then we'll come back in. And Jack, I'm going to ask you about um, how hooking up with uh, other cloud based software has become really important uh, over the years. Sounds great. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just send us an email at advertising at legaltalknetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. All right, we're back with uh, Carolyn and Jack Groh. And uh, Jack, before we left, I told you I was going to ask you about um, uh, how 
docketing software, rules-based docketing software, can talk with other um, other software. And the reason I wanted to ask that is because you made a point that that you know when you started in this yourself, that uh, convincing people that things were safe in the cloud was a big hurdle. Today, lawyers more and more and more are operating in the cloud using Office 365, using products like Clio or Rocket Matter or Firm Manager to to manage um, their their cases in the cloud. And uh, their calendars are being managed in the cloud on Google Calendar or on, or on Office, like I said, Office 365. So what um, has changed um, with the ability of rules-based docketing systems like yours to talk with all these other softwares that are out there? Is that, has that become possible? Oh, absolutely. So the first big movement in this space for us was to get on the internet. And now we're experiencing kind of the second big evolution of these products, not just our product, but all these legal technology products. And it's the ability of these products to talk to each other behind the scenes. And why that's so important is that if you have two isolated systems, then you go to your case management system, you have to enter your, your matter information and all of that independently. Then you go back to a deadline system and you have to enter it again. Now, when these systems can now talk to each other behind the scenes, it allows for kind of a unified legal e ecosystem. And that's really a critical concept. So it allows people to kind of take all of these different products that are important to their practice, and that will vary depending on whether you're a solo practitioner or a small law firm or medium to large law firm. You're going to have a need for different types of products. So with the ability of these uh, websites, including ours, to now talk to other products behind the scenes, you can now create a mashup of different products that is seamless to the end user. So law firms are able now in a lot of differences, and it's this growing trend It's going to be broader and, and it's going to be adopted faster. They're now able to kind of create the, pro the perfect product for them. And then when their needs change, they're able to evolve into different sets of products seamlessly. Now, when you were describing this to me earlier, you talked about using APIs um, uh, to do that. And I told you that uh, a lot of my audience might not understand what APIs are. First of all, what does API stand for? Uh, application provider something. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, what is it? I don't know. But so describe gonna, what it is. What does an API do? Okay, an API is basically a way that servers behind the scenes can talk to each other. And so what happens is that there's a communication where uh, there'll be a posting to one server, and it'll be, these. this is the information I have and the information I'm looking for. The other server will respond to that and basically say, okay, given this information you provided me, here's all of these numbers and different pieces of information, and it'll feed it back to the other server. So behind the scenes, these servers are talking to each other in their computer language, and uh, what the end user sees is none of that. What the end user sees is they start typing in the name of their matter name in a product, and autocomplete will finish it. Okay, but so I think one of the concerns that people will have about linking all these things together is all this talking behind the scenes, is that secure? Oh, How absolutely. Can they rely on the security of that? Absolutely. And not, not only is it secure, but it's in the total control of the end user. So if a law firm connects one product to another, they always have the ability to go in and disconnect it at any point in time. All of the communications behind the scenes use authentication tokens and uh, encrypted communications, and you have an incredibly secure way of sharing information. And that's one of the reasons that it's taken so long for these APIs to kind of come to this point of this fruition in, in their evolution is that now all of the technology and, and has, has kind of caught up with that, and it can now be done in, in a very safe way. Yeah, and we're recording this actually at ABA Tech Show, and I, I can tell you that one of the big topics in a lot of the conversations that are going on are about making sure that data is encrypted um, in transit and at rest, because everything about client representation obviously can be confidential, can be privileged. Um, and you're saying that this takes care of uh, meeting the lawyer's obligations to have that uh, encrypted Absolutely, absolutely. 
Carolyn, looking at how rules-based docketing, we talked about how it mitigates risk for law firms, and that's been, I think we've made it really, uh, really clear that it does, and that the risk is very real, and that, I mean, sitting in my chair, it just seems like impossible to believe that you would um, try to do this without some sort of automation. So I think that's been really clear. But what I think uh, would be interesting to discuss is how it might also not only just mitigate risk, but also help law firms reduce their overhead. What can uh, rules-based docketing do, for instance, to reduce uh, personnel overhead? Well, that's a good question. It's interesting because when we first uh, came out with the the rules-based calendaring, back in the the late 90s, early 2000 timeframe, people felt as though they were going to to lose their job and it concerned them because they were spending so much time calculating deadlines by hand, looking them up and then hand entering them. And if we did it all automatically in a second, it it did concern them. And so the reality is is that um, more recently, everybody's trying to get efficient. And if a paralegal has an opportunity to get something done um, that takes them one minute versus three hours, they want to be efficient because they want their attorneys to to recognize them for that. So, you know, this does replace the need to pay somebody hours to get something done when they can get it done in a minute. It also can potentially save them money on their malpractice insurance. So when we talk to malpractice providers, they typically talk about looking for anywhere between two to three redundant systems when uh, an attorney is filing, you know, representing what kind of redundancies they have. And um, basically, when you look at a system that uh, provides the deadlines in the form of email reminders, they push into a user's calendar, they create centralized repository for the firm to have an overview of the deadlines, offsite tape backup when when it's coming through our hosted environment. The list kind of goes on and on, but we provide far beyond what's required to get the maximum discount for uh, malpractice. And in your experience, do you know what kind of percentages uh, insurance companies will give uh, for having effective rules-based docketing software? Well, uh, I have heard a a variety of ranges, but I've heard anywhere between 5 and 8%. It really depends on the the type of law firm. So a personal injury type firm or family law is going to have a different... Um, risk component to an insurance company than perhaps a complex commercial litigation. So it really depends. But And my understanding from talking with you all earlier was that the way that uh, attorneys pay for rules-based docketing software like yours um, is to, to pay by the case, whether it's uh, uh, court rules or, or self-generated rules, they pay by the case. How can law firms mitigate the cost of that? Well, because we do charge a, a one-time per lawsuit fee, per case fee, our clients typically will pass that one time per case fee through to their clients, if not for all of their cases, for most of their cases. There are certain types of practices uh, that choose to go with our, our monthly type pricing. So, you know, not all firms uh, are set up to be able to pass that cost through if they've got, for example, one client doesn't work quite as well yeah. in some cases. But so. so what used to be, I mean, you, by using rules-based docketing software, it seems that they, they turn a cost center, which they, because billing for a docketing clerk is very, very difficult. No, not many people want to pay for that. I mean, a lot of courts um, on uh, like contingent practices won't authorize that uh, as a fee. Um, they could actually turn this into, a, maybe if not a profit center, at least a cost uh, recovery center yeah. um, in their law firm. Does, would you agree with that? Absolutely. So you get that per case fee, you pass that through to your client, 
Then um, we've talked to several clients that have actually recovered that fee as part of a bill of cost at the end of a case, and you qualify for that malpractice insurance discount. So even before you start using our product, you're making money. Okay. And then just one more point. I, yeah. Just an anecdotal story, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So when we first, early on, we walked into a law firm, and we did a presentation, and we talked about how our product would automatically calculate the deadlines and put them into Outlook. And we had the docking clerk raised her hand at the end of the meeting and said, well, what happens to my job when, you know, if we use this product? And everybody kind of looked around. So, but it has a very happy ending because what they did is they took that docketing paralegal and they said, look, instead of paying you to do unbillable work, we're now going to put you on cases and we're going to, you know, the work you're now doing is now billable. So that person actually ended up becoming more valuable to the firm than they had been before their docketing job had been replaced. Yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, I think that a lot of law firms... I uh, will see opportunities to, to repurpose people and to be helping them become profitable. What do you all see happening um, in this space in the future? What's the future of rules-based docketing? I believe that the future of this space is that using this ability of the servers to talk to each other behind the scenes, you're going to get an exponential increase in where these types of products can show up. And what you're going to have is a situation where people can manage their deadlines in a way that they feel comfortable with, that gives them a peace of mind, and that really makes them feel like they are uh, can spend their time on the, the types of things that are going to win or lose a case as opposed to managing the procedure. And they're going to be doing it in a way that they're very comfortable with and is easy to use. Fantastic. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Our guests today have been Carolyn and Jack Groh of Law Toolbox in Denver, Colorado. You can learn more about them at their website, which is www.lawtoolbox.com, um, or you can see them on LinkedIn at Law Toolbox um, and Facebook. You can look them up also as Law Toolbox. Their Twitter handle is, remarkably, at Law Toolbox. Um, and so you can uh, reach them at all those locations. Are there any other uh, ways people could follow up with you if they want to? Come to our website, give us a call. We're glad to answer any questions and help people with whatever we can. Fantastic. And they can reach us at uh, 888-958-6857. Fantastic. This is Christopher Anderson. I look forward to seeing you next month with another awesome guest. Remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. Thanks for joining us, and we'll speak to you again soon. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Unbillable Hour, the Law Practice Advisory Podcast. Join us again for the next edition, right here with Legal Talk Network. Learn by doing with Practicing Law Institute's award-winning on-demand interactive programs. Developed by experts in learning design, these immersive programs incorporate the latest in research-based instructional design and technology, allowing you to try out concepts, challenge yourself, and grow your skills using real-world scenarios. With programs focusing on professional development, client-facing skills, and law practice management, you can earn CLE while you learn. Launch now at pli.edu slash interactive or download PLI's mobile app.